This is David Tarkington. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church, First Baptist Church of Orange Park, and our network, the First Family Network, go to firstfam.org. You can check out my site at davidtarkington.com. Ephesians 2, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. I'll begin reading. You're welcome to follow along on your, in your Bible. Uh, there are some available in the pew there if you need one. Paul writes to the church and says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A powerful word from God through his servant Paul to the church in Ephesus, to other churches in the region, and through Holy Spirit to us today. May we read this in accordance to what God would desire us to hear. May we not just hear it as a statement, but apply it to our lives as well. Paul is speaking to a church through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, making it an inerrant word. And in his words to this church, he is talking of something that has happened in the past. And so it is very clearly to Christians, and I know in the room today there are Christians. I also know in the room today there are non-Christians. And so I'm praying for both groups, that those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ and have surrendered your life to Him, you will be encouraged by this. For those of you who have yet to do so or have never said yes to Jesus, for here you are here because your, your parents make you come, or, or family members have invited you, or you're just checking it out, or it's just something you do and you're still questioning my prayer for you today is very clear and very blatant that I am praying that your eyes and ears will be open that you may respond to the Holy Spirit's calling today. And, and we, because we love you. And we desire that you know this Jesus we speak of. So in that, uh, just so you know, in my, my study of the, of the book of Ephesians, I looked into some commentaries, and Kent Hughes is a pastor, theologian, wrote a commentary on Ephesians uh, a while back. And uh, in his uh, commentary on this letter to the church in Ephesus, he tells a story of a philosopher that lived a number of years ago named Jeremy Bentham. I don't know if you're familiar with Bentham. Jeremy Bentham was British, uh, English. He was the founder of, a, of a, uh, a philosophy known as utilitarianism. And uh, if that doesn't click any uh, uh, dots for you at that point, you don't understand what that is. It is a theory that states that the best actions in life are the ones that maximize utility and defined as producing the greatest well-being for the most people in the group and in some cases for animals and others as, other creatures as well. It is a philosophy that falls in place really because, and, and as, a, as a precursor to the Industrial Revolution where utilitarianism was necessary. Let's get the most work done in the shortest amount of time for the most good for most of the people. 
And so his philosophy has been known as the happiness principle. I'm not delving into philosophical teachings of Jeremy uh, Bentham so much as I'm interested in this story that Kent Hughes shared in this commentary. It seems that when Bentham died in 1832, he left in his will the, the instructions that a large portion of his accumulated wealth would be donated to a hospital in London. That's a great thing to do. I think that's a, a good investment at that point uh, for the health of others. And yet in his will, he left a condition. It was a conditional gift. And the condition was this, was that Bentham must be present at every board meeting here on out. You know, I say that and some of you go, you know, it's like there's a bell ringing and, uh, and I get it. I read that and I thought, I, I read that, I'm going, that's an interesting thing and I don't know if you're connecting some dots here or not, but let me kind of uh, help you understand because I, I read that in the commentary, I'm like, there's no way this really happened. So then I did some in-depth research, meaning I went to Google and Wikipedia approved it, so I guess it's real, but there are some stories of this. This is what happened. For the, for the next 100 years, this is what took place. See, before Bentham died, he had a little wooden box built that was, uh, I don't know, five and a half feet tall or so. And in that wooden box, he had a chair installed. This gets really weird. So when he died, he had instructions that his skeletal remains be placed on the chair. So his skeleton is sitting on a chair. But to not make it weird, he had his skeleton dressed in his clothes and had hay stuffed in the clothing to fill it out. You follow me? All right. So here's Jeremy sitting in his chair. Oh, and he had his head mummified and a wax replica of his head placed on top of the skeleton. That's weird. And every board meeting, they would wheel the box in and set it at the table with a placard in front that said, Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting for 100 years. Quiz time, why was he not voting? Because he's dead. I read that, I'm thinking, that is one of the weirdest stories I think I, I, I've ever heard. And I'm trying to imagine you are an upstanding Londoner and you've been asked to serve on the board of directors for the hospital. And you go, oh yeah, I'd love to do that, that's wonderful. And so you show up for your first board meeting and as you're sitting there at your first board meeting, you look to the left and there is Jeremy. And it's weird enough that you're looking there, there's Jeremy and, 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 and uh, Anthony Perkins' mother's over here, I guess. I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> there's Jeremy. And you're looking around the rest of the boardroom and you're realizing no one's acting like that's weird, which makes it more weird. 100 years. I think they finally figured after 100 years, we got all the money we're going to get out of the will. We don't have to bring it back anymore. I don't know what they were doing with that. But that's weird that this body is in the room and everyone's just acting like it's normal. What's as strange and shocking to the church at Ephesus is when they unrolled a scroll that was sent to them in the mail, of whatever version of postal service they had, from the Apostle Paul, their dearly 
beloved leader and missionary that had worked so much with him. And they unroll it, and the first line in the second chapter, though I didn't have chapters, but at least in that second section, it says, and you were all dead. It's a bit of a shocking statement. What is he saying? Why is that, what, what does that mean? And so I have four points today, and three of them are, are not really encouraging, so please don't leave early. You need to stay for the fourth point. If you, if you, you know, just make sure you get that. See, here's kind of um, here, here's kind of what you see in this this concept that Paul was uh, addressing here under the guidance and emphasis and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, most people on the planet have a worldview that falls in line with a natural worldview. Most Christians, unless they uh, focus on having a biblical worldview, they're accidentally going to fall in line with that as well. So, so the default setting for worldview goes something like this for the timeline of humanity, a timeline of a person's life. And, and don't, I don't want to get so much into the details, but just in a very basic sense. There is conception, which how appropriate on Sanctity of Human Life Day. So the world says, well, we would say that, that at conception, life begins, right? And then they would say you're born, and then everybody else would say, well, you kind of live your life and you're living, and then when your body expires, you are no longer living, you are dead. It's, it's, not, it's overly simple, I get that. Uh, but that's kind of a timeline. Paul shows up, flips it on its head, and says, don't forget, everybody else thinks that's how it works. You're born, you live, you die. But for the Christians who have been given this inspired word from the Holy Spirit, you understand that that's not right. For the Christian, the perspective is accurate. The biblical worldview is more clarified. There is a better understanding. There is a correct understanding. And you can't have that understanding be true and the biblical one be true. So in the biblical understanding, the biblical worldview, there is this conception and a person is born. And we don't, our default setting, our starting point is not we're living, it's that we're born into sin and it is death. Then at some later point in the life of a Christ follower, there is a born-again moment. And at the born-again moment, they start living. And we live forever even when our earthly bodies expire. So while the world says, born, live, die, Christians, the Scripture says, born, dead, live, 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 live. And that's Paul's message to this church, and it's not so much, he's talking to a bunch of Christians, and it's, it's one of these things that I think you guys are doing, what we all do is we live our lives as Christians, and sometimes we forget from where we have come. And I want to remind you that we all started in the same starting blocks. We all started with the same default factory setting. And because of Christ, and your surrender to Him, you gained something that others on the planet do not have. You gained life. See, others on the planet are saying born, live, die, but in their definition of living, they're actually not living. They're, according to Scripture, dead in trespasses of sin. And so it is the human story. And here's point one. Very encouraging word here to encourage you this morning. One, we are all dead. As we start off spiritually in the spiritual reality for all, we are born into sin. We are born separated from God. We are in need of a Redeemer and a Rescuer and a Sacrifice. 
Some want to get into, well, what about, what, what age? I, I'm, not, I'm just, let's just go straight with Scripture. Our default setting is separation. Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, the Adam from Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden story, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned, and you're going, well, I thought Eve sinned. It was a two for one. They sinned. And all of humanity was infected and has been infected because all of a sudden our default setting changed from sinless to sinful. We inherit this. And not only did all humanity grow or are born into sin, all of creation was infected. You know, everything was going to live forever until sin entered the story. Nothing would die. Nothing would expire. But sin enters the story, and sin always ends and equals death. It is the scriptural categorization of sin. For Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. It always has been, always will. And this is the opposite of the worldview many hold because many in the world hold this worldview. They don't know that it's wrong. They, even many Christians or self-proclaimed Christians will hold on to this, not knowing that it's wrong. But there is this false teaching that says most all people are basically good. We're all good people until due to some nurturing issues or some nature issues or some bad choices, people may turn and do bad things. But, but by and large, we're all good as we start. And while that we, we would, wouldn't it be great if that was actually true? And, and, and you know, we're going to show a clip later, and you're going to hear a false preacher from Houston, Texas say that very phrase, and it's still not true. It's not true. If you and your mind are believing that when people are basically good, we all start off together, then the fact of the matter is that you're eating fruit off the wrong tree, and you're now drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Because it's a lie that has been going on for centuries. We are born into sin. If we're all good, you don't need Jesus. If we're all okay, you don't need a Savior. There's no need for a gospel. If we're all good, then what's the good news? That we can be gooder? That's the lie. Years ago, I met a, young, uh, a gentleman, not a young man, he was an older man, very old at the time, and he has since passed away. Some of you know him, his name was Meinhard Robbie. You ever met Meinhard Robbie? Anybody, any Clay County residents that know Meinhard Robbie? I'm appalled that you don't know that name. I met him at the Clay County Fair, fair about, gosh, 15, almost 20 years ago probably. Meinhard Robbie lives in Penny Farms. When I first met him, he's, he was about this tall. Uh, which to me, everybody's about that tall, but he's about this tall. Actually, he wasn't that tall. He's about that tall. Meinhard Robbie was, a, was an actor, a retired actor. He, uh, oops, he had actually played in the movie, you may have heard of it, it was a prequel to Wicked. Uh, Wizard of Oz, you ever heard of that? Okay. So he played in the Wizard of Oz, and he lived at Penny Farms. I met him at the Clay County Fair, and he was, and as he had done with others that had met him, he was very excited to tell his story. So he played two characters in the movie of the, the Wizard of Oz, the Munchkins. He played one of them that he was most proud of was the Munchkin Coroner. 
So there is that scene, if you've seen the film, if you've not seen the film, well, you've probably have seen the film. You've heard of this. So the house falls on the witch, her, her feet roll up, and Dorothy is there in Oz, and all of a sudden we've gone from uh, black and white to technicolor, and it's a beautiful scene, and here come all the singing munchkins, and here comes the munchkin coroner with his scroll. And he comes out, and, and let me just say, Meinhard Robbie's voice sounded just like it did in the movie. Because when, that's why I just want just keep telling me things. So he would, and he, and he quoted this line like four times to me. And uh, he wouldn't have remembered me, but I had a great time conversing with him. And he, and he said his line, and I will not say it in the tone, I don't want to insult him, but he, he, here's the line. He said, as coroner, I must aver, I thoroughly examined her. And she's not only merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. Da 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 And they went and sang it all. <laughs> And he said, and, and he said that line. And I said, "Oh, that is awesome!" And uh, he has since passed away. But I just as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of that. Paul, Paul's words are much deeper than Meinhard Robbie's and and uh, the Wizard of Oz uh, lines there. But it's the same. We are dead in our sins, and oh, not only merely dead. We are really most sincerely dead. Point two, it gets more encouraging as we go. So not only are we dead, we are depraved. Feel better yet? We are depraved. Humanity is totally depraved, meaning that all of us have a sinful nature within us that affects every part of who we are. You are born with it. You cannot help it. We are separated from God. Our sin nature shows up in our minds and our thoughts and our actions and what we do. You can be a really good person and you're still depraved, according to God. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Not some, not most, not a few. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have followed the crowd, whether we are a loner or not. At some level, we followed the crowd. The crowd says sin, and we sin. And we believe the lies regarding who we are. The identity issue is key. I love the song that we just had here. I am who you say I am. Because when I look in the mirror and whatever am I decide for myself is going to be wrong. I am who you say I am. There are these false ideas that people have of who they are. In 1967, it was Thomas Anthony Harris who wrote a best-selling book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And let me just tell you, we're not okay. We're not okay. It's the deception that your earthly resume is impressive to God. And it's not. You join a church and God is not impressed. He's not going, oh, I'm so glad I got them. That's great. He does want you, but you're not impressive. I'm not impressive. We've got to be really careful to, to not fool ourselves into thinking God should be honored that we joined His church. You ever met somebody that made you feel like you should be blessed just that they were in the room with you? They are God's gift to whatever and whomever, and they want to make sure you know it. There are people that think way much more of themselves than they should. And you'll know them because they'll tell you. They will tell you who they know, who they've met, where they've worked, how much they've got, and what they do. And then when they take a breath, you get to introduce yourself. It's just people are people. That's a it's kind of a sick mindset. It's that person that always has to one-up everybody else. It's the I think it's the comedian Brian Regan that calls it the me monster. 
You ever known the mean, me monster? The me monster is the person you meet at the fellowship or the party and you're just having small talk and anytime you say something, they can outdo it. Well, you know, I went on vacation in the mountains. Well, yeah, I went to a bigger mountain. You went to the Smokies. I went to the Rockies. I went to the Rockies. We went to Kilimanjaro. I mean, you're always going to one-up you. It's the person that has apparently such low self-esteem inside that they're going to make sure that if there's a pecking order in the room, they're going to be on top, at least in their own head. Now, if you are that person, just know that's a sickness, and you need to confess that. On the other end of that spectrum is another sickness, the person that looks in the mirror and hates himself all the time, and they think, nobody likes me, nobody loves me, and there's no one that ever will. And how could God love someone like me? See, the enemy works both ends of the spectrum. And what both ends of the spectrum of of self-identity and self-worth, how we view ourselves, discover, and wherever we fall in between, because we're all somewhere on that line, is that we actually are all in the very same boat. We actually are all exactly alike at this point. The common denominator from this person to that person and all of us in between is that apart from Christ, we are all depraved, disobedient, and dead in our sins with no hope. So third point, which is even more encouraging, not only are we dead, not only are we depraved, we're doomed. Happy Sunday. <laughs> We're doomed. Uh, not exactly what you'd probably put on a sign out front. Not exactly the verse of the day or the word of the day or the thought of the day. But our sin condemns us and it condemns all of us. We are all sinful for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. Sin will not be in the presence of God. God is a holy God. And at this point, it seems hopeless when you recognize that that's the saddest ending to any life story. That, and, and we know as Christians, we acknowledge that we believe that there is a reality, that there is a place called hell and a place called heaven. And hell was not created for people. That may be a, a light bulb going off for some of you. God had, creates all. Hell was not created for human beings. It was created for the enemy and his demons. And yet there are only two end games here. There are only two results. There's no in-between, there's no purgatory, there's no waiting game, there's heaven, there's hell. And whether you believe in they exist or not, I will just tell you one day you will. And if hell is not created for, the, for people, then why would people go there? Because sin can't not be in the presence of God. And that leaves only one place for those who have never been redeemed, of their sin through the blood of Christ and it is the saddest story ever. But we have hope. We have hope that others do not. We have hope that that's not all there is. We have hope that all those worldview understandings that are wrong are wrong for a reason. Because there is a God who loves us and has a plan that, is, that, it, that would rescue us from that destination and more than that, would glorify Himself through our response as He draws us to Himself. And that is what Paul is stating. Paul starts here with a sentence about the church. He's talking to a church. Not the organization, not a denomination, not committees, not that, but the people who are God's church. And he's talking about the church's past. 
And then he's full on with clear, pointed, helpful, life-giving reminder of their present and their future. He says, we were all dead. We were all here. But, and here's the fourth point, we have been delivered. We were dead, we were depraved, we were doomed, but we have been delivered and we could not deliver ourselves. This is an amazing moment. This is this inability, in our inability to fix the brokenness that we are born with. We have been delivered and rescued by the author and creator of the story who entered into the story, who as Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully God, fully human, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, took the bill we owe, paid our bill, died on a cross, rose again so that you and I can not only have heaven at the end, but have life today. It changes everything. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth of that reality in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins as according, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Jesus died on the cross for the glory of the Father and for the good of our, our, of our lives and the redemption of humanity. The last point regarding deliverance for, is for Christians. So I know I have two audiences in the room. To the Christian audience today, you can hang on to number four and go, I have been delivered and heaven is my home. But I don't need to forget where I've been. You don't need to live in the past, but you don't need to forget it either. You need to remember it, because by remembering it, we are reminded of God's grace and His goodness that reminds us that you don't deserve this, but you got it. A great gift called life. That will allow you to have purpose now and live now. See, eternal life does not begin when your body stops functioning. Eternal life begins when you start living. Earlier today, right before we got here, we had the first baptism we've had at Island Church. It was a great moment. It was exciting because it was outdoors and a horse trough, and I didn't have to get in the water. That was what made it really great, because it's cold out there. But we had hot water, so hot, we tested it was 101 degrees, so it scalded all the hair off the guy, but it's all right. <laughs> He'll never forget it. We gathered out there, and it was Patrick, uh, who is a, a member of our church, came to our new members class last week, had a good conversation with him. Now, Patrick grew up and, uh, and, and, and he, at, at some point as an adult, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And terminology being terminology, he was uh, talking with others and he joined the church and it was three days before the new members class, he brought me over and said, I need to talk to you after this class. I said, okay. He said, I was informed three days ago that my baptism was not biblical. I said, okay, I wasn't there. Tell me about it. He said, well, I grew up in a, uh, in a different denomination, a different, different church, and I was sprinkled as a baby. I said, well, one, you're right, not biblical. Two, I'm, I'm sure your parents were dedicating you to the Lord, uh, so I'm not going to knock your parents for doing that. But I'm telling you, that's not baptism. That's just sprinkling. And if that offends anyone, I'll remind you of the sign out front. Baptist church. So, this is who we are, all right? This is who we are. So this is why we believe this. It's an ordinance of our church. We believe baptism does not save you, but yet it is symbolic of the decision that has already been made in your life, and here's what happens. Babies don't get to choose. So how could it be symbolic of anything they've decided? They don't. So when Patrick talked to me, and, and uh, his girlfriend had already explained it all, and he 
And, uh, and he, he said, I get it, and I'm ready to be baptized. If you want to do it Sunday? He said, that'd be great. So we did it today. It's great. Patrick did not become a Christian today. He became an obedient one today, but he did not become a Christian today. He had already said yes to Jesus. And he said, I want to do the baptism like Jesus did baptism. So timeline-wise, you're born, you're dead. You say yes to Jesus, you're born again, and you live. And in case you've ever seen us baptized, it's one of those little phrases, buried in sin, dead to sin, raised to new life in Christ. That's the illustration. What a great day. That was today. Last Wednesday, one of our students did the same thing. We'll be baptizing him in the next few weeks. Those are moments we, you know, I told my wife heading back here from from Island Church, I said, you know, at, at this point, it makes it all worth it. Makes it all worth it. When somebody who was, dead is now alive it makes it all worth it it makes it work you know it doesn't matter if what and it and everything worked fine today don't hear what i'm not saying it doesn't matter if the sound system doesn't work it doesn't matter if we can't get the heat on or the water or the or the air on it doesn't matter if the details of how you orchestrate a service don't fall exactly how the order of service says what matters is is a dead person is now a live person that's a crazy story now you're reading the scripture you go why didn't jesus bring people back to life like he used to i'm telling you he does it all the time all the time. Spiritually, this is what matters. For the Christians in the room, remember where you came from and celebrate that you are where you are now because not you're good enough, you're not that good, I'm not that good, never be that good, but because of God's grace. For the non-Christians in the room, recognizing that everything in the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 is in the past tense, you were this, you were that, you were this, you were that, recognize in your life right now, non-believer, that you are this, you are that, and you don't have to be any longer. Let's go, let's, can I just encourage you non-Christians? And love, I'm not going to call you out, I just want you to know that as non, non-Christians, you're, these past ten stories for Christians are encouraging for us because we forget, but for you, I so want it to be past tense for you. I so want you to be able to say, I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. I used to be lost, but now I'm saved. And some of you have so convinced yourself in your own chosen version of intellectualism that this is useless and fruitless and makes no sense, is nothing but a myth, and I am just begging you to, to, uh, to, to give up that fruitless and empty journey built on lies. And trust God. For whatever reason He brought you here today, He did. Your mama didn't. Your spouse didn't. Your friend didn't. He did. Just so you'd know how much He loves you. If you don't get this, if you don't say yes, you're no better off than a dead English philosopher's body sitting in a box in a meeting with a bunch of living people and everybody faking like you're with them. But God, rich in His mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages He might know the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.